Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Christian Podcast. At Faith Christian, our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information about Faith Christian, check out our website, fccnp.org, or stop by on a Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you. Now we hope you enjoy this recent teaching from Faith Christian Church. Father, indeed, we offer our praise to you. Because of who you are, because of what you have done, because of what you have promised you'll continue to do, because you are faithful to us, because we can count on who you are and what you say you will do. We give you our praise. All that we are, all that we have, we offer to you as an act of praise, an act of worship. Our, our, the words of our mouth, the meditation of our heart, the thoughts of our head, the, the, the work of our hands. Our relationships, our friendships, our work, our play, we offer all of that to you as worship, for you are worthy of our praise. God, we pray that you have been blessed as your people gathered in this place today have offered our voices and our hearts to you in worship and song. And now, God, we ask that you would speak to us as we turn to the pages of Scripture. Would you move in us, move to our heads and to our hearts? Move to our hands and feet. Would you teach us today how to love better? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Hey, it is great to see you this morning. Thanks for uh, making this a part of your weekend. Whether you're here in the room with us, whether you're watching online, uh, we're thrilled we get to spend this time together. Uh, got two quick announcements just before we dig into our sermon time this morning. Uh, Josie, our worship minister, asked me to remind you, uh, she's trying to put together a worship choir for Easter this year. And if that's something you'd be interested in, she would love to talk to you, or you can talk to me after the service. Let us know, and we'll get you more details as those are available. We're just trying to gauge the interest. So if you would be willing and uh, would like to participate in our worship choir for Easter this year, uh, please talk to Josie or myself. And also, I want to be sure that you know that uh, next Sunday evening, uh, we're going to watch a football game together. Uh, this has become one of our great traditions traditions here at Faith Christian. We call it our Super Bowl party, and we spell soup with an, a U in it usually. We forgot to do that on this graphic, uh, because we like to eat more than even we like football, and so we encourage you next Sunday evening at 6, bring a crock pot of soup to share, and we'll have cornhole and ping pong, and oh, and a, there'll be a football game on the screen as well. Uh, lots of fun for the entire family, and hope that you'll join us and for the big game next Sunday evening, uh, beginning at 6 p.m. Um, we are in a sermon series as we've begun this new year that we're calling Things I Wish Jesus Never Said. And we're looking at some of these statements of Jesus that fr quite frankly, I wish, and I suspect you're the same way, I wish Jesus would have never said because they're hard, they're difficult, they're, they're, there's, there's, some of these statements are the kind of things that when people begin investigating Jesus, begin to, to ask questions and, and consider following Jesus, they get to some of these statements and they just say, no, I'm out because they're that kind of hard. And so I, frankly, I wish Jesus would have never said that. I got another one for you today, and this is from Mark chapter 10. If you've got a Bible, you want to join me in Mark 10, and maybe you've got an app on your phone, the words will be on the screen behind me as we read this moment from the life of Jesus, this encounter that Jesus has with this young man, in which Jesus is going to say something that, frankly, I wish he would have never said. Let me read it for you. Mark 10, beginning of verse 17. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. 
Only God is truly good. There's a little bit of some, some imagery there that we don't have time to get into. Verse 19. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. So this guy's looking, how do, how do I get in with God? How am, I sure, how am I sure that I'm in? And so Jesus answers, gives him a list like we all like. You know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. That's an important phrase for what we're going to talk about today. Honor your father and mother. <laughs> Teacher, the man replied, he's got this. He's like, <laughs> no problem. I've obeyed all these commands since I was young. I got this figured out, Jesus. Looking at the man, verse 21, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Here's that line we wish Jesus would never said. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. And then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. And I want you to pay attention to this phrase. And he went away sad. He heard what Jesus had to say. And he went away sad, for he had many possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them. But, 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 but Jesus said it again. Dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. And then Jesus gives us one of these absurd, almost sarcastic analogies. We read one of these last week. In fact, Jesus says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. But then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible but not with God. Everything is possible with God. I've got some bad news for you today. Jesus will let you walk away. He will let us walk away. Jesus will let me walk away. When I hear this story, about Jesus' encounter with this young man and this line about sell all your possessions, give them to the poor, and, and the man walking away. I start to have an argument with Jesus. Jesus, you can't be serious, right? Come on, Jesus. You can't just let this guy walk away, Jesus. We've talked about how in our culture today, everybody loves Jesus, even the people that don't like church. Everybody loves Jesus. Most people are a fan of Jesus, but nobody wants a Jesus that will just let us walk away. Just walk away. Come, come on, Jesus. We've got to be inclusive. Jesus we, we, Jesus, we want you to be our homeboy. We want, we want you to be our friend. We don't want you to let us walk away. It's not smart, Jesus. You can't just let people walk away. This is a free market world that we live in, Jesus. There's competitors in this culture, Jesus. You've got to understand, Jesus, this just, just isn't how we do things. We don't let people walk away. We tweak, we, we adjust, we, we compromise, but we don't let people just walk away, Jesus. Especially not this guy, Jesus. Did you see who this guy was? This guy was important. We don't let the important people walk away. This guy's got money. This is a guy we want in our group, Jesus. This is a guy with influence. This is a guy with power. The disciples, and, and, and some of us too, 
disciples in this moment, they, they operated, and some of us still do operate, under this assumption that if someone has money, that must mean they're doing something right. That that must mean that God is blessing them in some way. Even if he's not, we can sure use their check, right? That's what we think. So the disciples have got to be thinking, don't let this guy just walk away, Jesus. Don't let him walk away. We tend to think, Jesus, don't let this guy walk away. That's not what we're supposed to do. But that's what Jesus does. We may prefer a Jesus that wouldn't let us walk away. But this is the only Jesus we get. And Jesus will let me walk away. And he'll let you walk away. Anybody else getting tired of this series? <laughs> Things I wish Jesus never said. I'm tired of it because it's not easy. It's not easy to hear these things. It's kind of like going to church every week and getting slapped in the face, right? I've heard from some of you. Some of you have told me, that this stuff is hard. Yeah. This is tough stuff. And so I've got to be honest with you. It's very, very tempting for me this week as I sit down in my office to work on this sermon. Very, very tempting for me to find something else to talk about today. To find another story. Or to find a way to water this one down so it doesn't hurt, sting so much. But I can't. Not this time. Not today. Not this story. We got to talk about it. If you've heard this story preached before, if you've heard this story taught before, probably if you've heard me teach this story before, you've probably heard this story, these words of Jesus, you've probably heard them watered down. You've probably heard them domesticated. So we take what's so hard and try to make it palatable for us, especially in our modern American culture ears But I'm gonna tell you I'm not gonna do you the disservice this morning of hiding from you the truth Even if the truth in this story is something that I don't want to hear myself So let's take a look at Jesus saying to this guy sell everything you have and Give it to the poor now the first thing that happens when we hear Jesus say this And it's my instinct and it's your instinct the first thing we do is we try to start figuring out how do we get out of that, right? What, what are the excuses that start coming into our head to say, we got to figure out how this doesn't apply to us? And so the first thing that we say, the first instinct of an excuse that we have is with this passage is to say, well, the, the real issue here is this guy's heart. That was the issue. It's his money isn't the problem. The issue was his heart. And his money just happened to have a grip on his heart. So that's the real issue. This is a heart issue, not a wallet issue. You've probably heard this before. You've probably said this before. I have. It's what we want to say when we read this passage to try to get out of responsibility for what Jesus has to say in this passage. There's a couple of problems with this excuse, though. One... This doesn't exempt, if, this, if the problem is this guy's heart, this doesn't exempt us, does it? Have you thought about this? We say things like, well, the problem was this guy's heart. We say it as if we were innocent of this. Well, for him, the problem was money, but we know the problem's not money for us. It's something else for us. Okay, then what is it? What is the problem for us then? What is it that's got a grip on your heart? That's the first issue with this. Another problem that, we have, that, that I have with this excuse is we can't separate our heart from our actions. We like to compartmentalize in our culture, in our world. I've got my church life, I've got my school life, I've got my work life, I've got my home life, and they're all four different lives. And Jesus says, no, you've got one life. And part of you 
Part of your life you spend at church, and part of your life you spend at work, and part of your life you spend at school, and part of your life you spend at home, but it's all one life, and who you are is the same. You're the same person no matter where you are, and so our heart and our actions, what we do, they can't be separated. And so if you want to know the condition of your heart, pay attention to the way you live your life, what you're doing with your life, because you can't separate your heart from your life. That's a couple of problems I have with this excuse. The, the big problem, of course, is this. The big problem with this excuse, well, the, the real issue is the guy's heart. If that's the excuse, the big problem with, the, with, with that excuse is this. That's not what Jesus says, is it? Jesus doesn't say that, at least not this time. Yes, in, in Matthew, in a, in a very popular, famous passage, Jesus does say that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But Jesus never tells this guy that the problem is a heart problem. We do all sorts of things to get out of this text, but it's not just us. You may have heard this excuse for this text, this justification for this text. I, I, I have a core memory of being taught this, this theory, this philosophy, when I was in Sunday school, I was probably nine, ten years old, West Walnut Street Church of Christ in Johnson City, Tennessee, down in the basement where they stuck all the nine-year-old boys so they wouldn't make a lot of noise. And our Sunday school teacher was teaching this passage, and she told us this story about what it means, and the, the part of the story about the, the camel going through the eye of a needle. Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Well, somewhere around the 10th or the 11th century, so this is 10 or 1100 years after Jesus this story started cropping up in books within the church that there was this gate in the city wall of Jerusalem you got the city of Jerusalem and you got a wall to protect the city all around it that there was this gate in the wall of Jerusalem called the eye of the needle and they called it the eye of the needle because the gate was very very small and so if someone came late at night and the only gate that was open was the eye of the needle, a small gate, and for the camel to get into the city, the camel would have to crawl down on all fours and crawl through the small hole in the gate to get in the city. I remember hearing that story when I was nine years old. Anybody ever heard that story? Yeah, I see some heads nodding. You've heard that story. That's a great excuse for, well, that's not, Jesus doesn't really mean, this is a paperclip, not a needle, but, but a camel going through the eye of a needle. Th that's not really what Jesus means. He's talking about this metaphor about this small gate and the camel getting small. You, you've heard that, right? Here's the problem with that story. There was never such a gate in the city of Jerusalem. It's a great story. It didn't exist. Somewhere around the 10th or 11th century, somebody made up that story. Why? Because it's so hard to think about that Jesus might have actually meant what he said. Why would someone, why would someone tell someone to sell everything they had and give it to the poor? I'll tell you why. The issue here is this guy has benefited at someone else's expense. He has profited at the expense, at the detriment to the, to the discredit or the pain of someone else. This is the way you got wealthy in Jesus' day in the first century was through land. This is an agricultural society, so the basic unit of wealth was property, the ground you owned. And so what would happen is, kind of like we, we get a credit card and we, you know, we max it out and then we get another credit card to pay off that card and then we max both of them out and we get a third credit card. You, you've done this cycle. I'm not the only one, right? So that's kind of the way we do that. It's just this downward spiral that ends up in bankruptcy. This is a similar situation. 
So someone would own a piece of land, and they would have a tax that they would owe to, to the Roman government. And so they would take out a loan to pay their tax. And of course, the collateral for their loan was the land that they owned. But then they'd have to take out another loan to pay off the first loan. And then they'd have to take out another loan. And take eventually, just like a credit card, eventually they would find themselves so far in debt that the last thing they owned, their land... Their, their one unit of wealth, they had to hand over to someone else and they would become slaves on their own property. So how you got wealthy back in Jesus' world was you offered these loans. You would give these loans knowing that these peasant farmers would have to default on their debt and you would end up with their property. I'm not even sure that this was mean. That the, that the motives were wrong. Are you with me? I, I, I'm not sure that, that, the, that there was ill intent, at least initially. I guess this guy probably thought that he was helping someone else by giving them this loan. That he was doing a good thing by helping them out. But Jesus says to him, you are benefiting, you are profiting by using someone else. You are profiting at someone else's expense. So Jesus tells this guy who is profiting at someone else's expense, sell everything you have and give it to the poor because everything you have, you've taken from the poor. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor so that you can make things right. Jesus' point to this guy is simple. Make things right. Make things right. There, there, there's one more objection that we like to raise when we read this passage. When we hear Jesus say to us, sell everything you have and and give you sell all your possessions and give them to the poor. When we hear this weird, this, this intimidating statement from Jesus, we also try to get out of this by arguing this argument. Well, Jesus didn't tell everyone to sell everything, did he? He, he, he? This was for this guy in this moment, and then he didn't mean this for everyone, did it? He just told this one guy, right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. He did tell this one guy, but. He did tell this one guy. Jesus thought that there was at least one person in his world who needed to hear this. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And if there was one, at least one person, if there was at least one person in Jesus' world that needed to hear this, I just can't help but think there might be one person in our world who needs to hear it as well. And I can't help think that it might be one of the people who are living in one of the nicest, safest communities in the most consumer-driven and richest countries in the history of the world. It might just be someone sitting in this room. <laughs> it might just be someone standing on this platform. I think the assumption when we approach this text is that Jesus very well might be, in fact, he probably is. He probably is talking to me. So what do we do? What are we supposed to do with this weird statement that Jesus gives us? I want to try to give you some practical ideas and some things that, that I can put into practice that maybe you'll join me and you'll put them into practice in your life as well. Where do we start? working through this in our own lives. I think the first step is this word, this is kind of a churchy word, but the word is repentance. 
We've got to start, we've got to repent. Now, repentance isn't feeling bad for your sin. Repentance literally means to perceive afterwards. It's, here's the idea of repentance. You look back on what you've done, a part of your life, maybe all of your life. You look back on your life and you say, that, that wasn't okay. What I was doing then, what I did yesterday, what I was doing then, that was not okay. And so then you change directions. You, you literally turn around. That's the word in, in, within the word repentance is the idea of, of turning around. You turn around and you start to live differently because that, you know, that was not okay. And so I'm going to be different because that wasn't okay. I'm going to find out what is okay. That's repentance. Most of us, most of us need to come face to face with the fact that when we look back at our lives, we have benefited, we have profited at someone else's expense. I wish it wasn't true, but it is. And it's not okay. I saw this skit at a, a, a conference, a youth conference, several years ago, a couple of decades ago now at this point. Beautiful skit. These guys are, are having this conversation. This guy, one of the guys really kind of frustrated. Is what's wrong? He goes, you know, I got this question. I've always wanted to ask God this question. Well, what's the question that you want to ask God? He goes, well, you know, I look at the world. I just want to ask God, God, why is there so much poverty? Why is there so much suffering in the world? Why, why is it so rampant? Why is there so much hurt? Why is there so much poverty and suffering in the world? And the guy says, oh, that's a great question. Why don't you ask God that question? Oh, no, 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 no. I could never ask God that question. Why not? It's a great question. Why won't you ask God that question? And the guy says, I can't ask God that question because I'm afraid if I ask God that question that God's going to ask me the same question. I think maybe God is asking us today. Why do you allow so much poverty and suffering in the world? We need to repent because every one of us in the room has allowed so much poverty and suffering in this world, and it's not okay. Look at some statistics. Now, I know, Mark, I love the old Mark Twain line, there's three kinds of lies, lies, dang lies, and statistics. All right, I, I get that. <laughs> and I know statistics can be manipulated, and we can make them say whatever we want to say, but these, let me just show you some numbers right now. Uh, th these numbers don't lie and they're just some brutal facts about the world that you live in and that I live in And I think it's important for us to get a feel where we are today right now today this week The poverty line the poverty line in the United States is fourteen thousand five hundred and eighty six dollars a year Fourteen thousand five hundred that's the that's what if if you make that or less in the United States We consider you really really poor that is roughly, roughly averages out to about $42 a day. If you live on $42 a day or less, we consider you to be really, really poor. Did you know that in our world, not just in America, but in our world, there are roughly 1.2 billion people that live on 23 cents or less a day? Now, I recognize economies are different, stuff costs different things in different places, uh, but that is some radical inequality. That's a serious difference. Right now, in, in our world, the United States has about 6% of the world's population. About 6% of the world's population lives in the U.S., and the United States has over 21% of the world's capital. We spend, America, we spend more money annually on trash bags than half of the countries of the world spend on 
everything combined. Again, just as long as you see the inequality. Let, let me show you how much it would take, it would cost to take care of some of the, the big, there's not the only problems in the world, but some of the big problems in the world. Right now, in order to provide water and sanitation for everyone on the planet, it would cost roughly, these are estimates, roughly $9 billion. That's B, B billion. $9 billion would provide clean water, clean drinking water, and sanitation for every person on the planet. $12 billion right now would provide reproductive health care for all women on the globe so that you know, when a woman gives birth, her life's not at risk and her baby's life's not at risk. That's, that's the goal here. Um, this is a huge issue worldwide. We don't see it near, quite as much. We still see it in the United States, but not quite as much. But worldwide, this is a huge deal. Women's reproductive health worldwide, $12 billion. Basic health and nutrition. Basic health and nutrition for every man, woman, child on the planet right now would cost $13 billion. Again, these are estimates. So add those numbers together, $34 billion would take care of three of these major issues. You guys have a Merry Christmas a couple months ago? 22, 2022, Christmas time. The United States consumers spent just online, not, not talking about walking into Walmart and buying the present for your kid, just online in the United States, U.S. spenders spent $211.7 billion online. We're talking about $177 billion more than it would cost to provide basic health and nutrition for every man, woman, and child on the planet, reproductive health for all women, and clean water and sanitation for everyone who is alive today, and we'd still have $177 billion left to have a really, really Merry Christmas. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Never before in the history of the world has there been this much wealth concentrated in the hands of so few people? So, either God messed up and God created too many people and not enough stuff, or we've been unfaithful with what God has given us. Now, I recognize before you start calling me a snowflake or a liberal or something like that. I recognize this is not America's job to fix this. But I also realize that I am not talking today to Americans who happen to go to church. I am talking to Christ followers, Christians, who happen to live in America. And I'm saying... We need to repent. Because if we don't do something about this, I don't know who will. But it's not just about thinking. It's also about doing. So not only do we need to repent, but we also need to repay. That's what Jesus says to this guy. Sell what you have and give it to the poor. Make things right. Repay. The early Christians taught that charity is nothing more than returning what we have stolen. They said, the early Christians says, said that if a child dies of starvation while a Christian has extra food, that Christian is guilty of murder. A more recent Christian, a woman by the name of Dorothy Day, said this, if you have two coats, one of them belongs to the poor. So maybe, 
maybe you need to give some stuff away and, and not just the junk i'm sure you're like me you got plenty of junk just laying around you should get rid of but i'm talking about some of the good stuff things that make you feel important or cool or things that you find your own personal value in because you own them give that away so that kids in places like haiti or the ukraine or northeast ohio don't have to go to bed hungry tonight you see the point is not to just give enough stuff away that we can still live comfortably and not feel bad this is not an exercise in appeasing our conscience the point is to make sacrifices to go without sometimes so that other people have enough i love the story of uh, mother Teresa. Um, this description of her um, this author got to spend some time around her and around the people she lived with and she wrote this she goes people often ask me what was mother Teresa like it was like they they had they wondered if she glowed in the dark or had a halo in truth the author says in truth she was short wrinkled and precious maybe even a little ornery like a beautiful wise old granny I love that description there's one thing I will never forget, this author writes, about Mother Teresa. There's one thing I'll never forget, her feet. Her feet were deformed. Each morning in Mass, I would stare at them. I, I wondered if she had contracted leprosy, but I wasn't going to ask, hey, Mother, what's wrong with your feet? One day, one of the sisters said to us, have you noticed her feet? We nodded, curious. She said, her feet are deformed. Because we get, talking about this, this convent where they lived, we get just enough donated shoes for everyone. And mother does not want anyone to get stuck with the worst pair. So she digs through and finds the worst pair and keeps them for herself. And years of doing that have deformed her feet. Years of loving her neighbor as herself have deformed her feet. I hear that story and I think to myself, this is the author's words, I hear that story and think to myself, maybe someday I'll know what it means to be a real Christian. Maybe someday I'll have deformed feet. Jesus very clearly calls those of us who have benefited or profited at other people's expense to repent and to repay. And you know as well as I do, if we're going to obey, we're going to have to to do that, but you're also going to have to rethink. You have to rethink. We've somehow we've convinced ourselves that there's there's a number out there that we need in order to survive. Fifty thousand dollars, sixty thousand dollars, a hundred thousand dollars, two hundred fifty thousand dollars, a million, whatever. We, you've got a number in your mind that I've got to have this. I've got to have this income. I've got to have this in order to survive. We're looking. We're looking at our lives. You're, you've been doing this all morning. I've been talking about this. You've been looking at your life. I've been doing this all week as I've been reading this passage again and again. Looking at my life, going, it's not like I got extra money laying around. I, I don't have that. What do you expect me to do? I, I don't have just buckets of money just laying around to do something with. I need this money. I can't live on any less than what I'm living on. And I suppose that's true if I insist on living the way that I live. I think that's the problem. We need to rethink and replan what you do with your money. You need to get together with your family. You need to reread this story. And you need to ask questions like, what can we do? What can we do without? Maybe you need to restructure your business so you're not profiting at the expense of someone else. Maybe you need to pay attention to what products you buy and what that supports. 
What can we do? What can we do without? I love the story of this preacher driving with his three sons in the car, and they pass by a homeless man on the corner. You know, got the sign, you know, we'll work for food, whatever, and always got all his stuff there, and the guy's there, and you know, you know how it is. You try not to make eye contact with him. The dad's in the front seat, and the three boys are in the back seat. And, and so the, the dad, dad, why is that guy out there? Why, why is he on the street? Why, does, why, doesn't he, why doesn't he go home, dad? Why is he here on the street? And so dad explains to his son, hey, he doesn't have a home. He, he's probably made some really bad choices in his life. He's probably uh, got some pat- patterns of bad behavior, bad choices, and he's kind of left in. So the, so the three sons, the oldest son, he's a bit cynical. He's like, eh. The youngest son, he's, he's too young to know what's going on. He's just, you know, in his own little three-year-old world, whatever. But the middle boy, the middle son was the one with the tender heart. And so the, the middle boy looks at, out the window and looks up at dad in the front seat and says, well, dad, what are we going to do? What are we going to do, dad? <laughs> so dad explains again, son, honey, there's nothing we can do. We can't help him because if we were to help him, we would be enabling his bad choices and in his bad lifestyle, and we, we can't support that, so we, we, there's nothing we can do. But dad, the middle son says, but dad, we, we can't do nothing. Dad, you can't do nothing. So they drove around the corner and went to McDonald's. Got a bag full of hamburgers and went to the grocery store, got a case of water, went back to the corner. Get out of the car and dad says to the guy, I, I don't know if this is what you want. I don't know if this is what you need. But we couldn't do nothing. Maybe that's the lesson for you today. We can't do nothing. Let me pray for you. Our community team will go ahead and take their places, get ready to serve us. Father, we hear these words of Jesus today and we don't like them. We don't like them because we like our stuff and we like our comfort. We like our leisure. But we hear these words of Jesus. And we know we've got to do something. We've got to make it right. And God, I don't know what that is for each person in this room. It's, I'm sure it's different. But we know, God, that we can't do nothing. So give us the courage. Give us the ability to love our neighbor as ourselves and do something. Pray this today in the name of Jesus.